Dave Hooker Show. A presentation of Off the Hook Sports. Objective insight, expertise, top guests. Available on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the Off the Hook Sports app. Download now for free. Also available on offthehooksports.com. I compute and obey. Now to Dave Hooker. Ready. Ladies and gentlemen, it is an off week for Tennessee, but not an off week for us as we continue to break down the balls. And there is absolutely plenty to talk about as after Tennessee's win over the weekend against South Carolina, pretty much still in this gray area of what Tennessee is. Are they a good team? A great team, an average team. We'll get into that discussion with a couple of different topics. It'll be which remaining unbeaten teams could be a nuisance to Blue Bloods in the college football race. That would include the balls. Billy Napier to remain Florida's play caller despite their offensive woes as we look around the conference. Also, AM thriving after Jimbo Fisher gave up his play calling. Should head coaches call plays? Of course, Josh Heupel is highly involved in that. Is the NIL affecting college football decisions? We want to compare the Kentucky or Missouri game, which is more losable for Tennessee for a specific reason. Georgia and Alabama, most winnable. And also, we'll get to, did the Vols make a chance, miss a chance to get Nico ready earlier this season so here we go it is john adams joining us as he does each and every tuesday caleb first of all i hope you're doing fantastic i am doing great happy tuesday to you dave you too and john adams how are you sir i'm doing well i added a sports coat today i think i'm trying to throw caleb off his game he gains a slight sense of superiority by dressing up a little more than we do, I wanted to see how you would perform on equal footing. I appreciate that. And what is this? It's Sport Coat Tuesday or something, Caleb, that I'd never no, heard of it, that you called it last week. It's T-shirt Tuesday. Oh, it t-shirt was a work Tuesday. thing at a place I work. You wear a T-shirt on Tuesday and you try to look spiffy with the T-shirt on. Uh, Caleb, you don't work there anymore, do you? Um. I, I I I have the right to remain silent. <laughs> sort of, I guess we would say. Never, right. never mind. Let's go. All right. So we got <laughs> a lot going on, John. Let me get your uh, take on the way Tennessee played before we get off and rolling. Looking at Tennessee's schedule ahead, and we're going to debate the most winnable, most losable games among a couple of different candidates. Also, nil affecting decisions, as I mentioned, and. And and Nico, should he be more game ready, more game prepared? So we're going to get in to all of that. But first, your thoughts on how the Vols bounce back. um, Well, not bounce back, I guess, from a Florida loss two weeks ago. But uh, your thoughts on how the Vols bounce back against uh, South Carolina. I thought it was the most impressive performance of the year. Um, The defense was very aggressive. I thought the secondary tackle better, covered better albeit against the South Carolina team that was so, so limited in what it could do. Um, But I really liked the way the offensive line played. 
when uh, Cooper Mays returned, you could see the difference. And in offensive line, we don't think of that much as a center being such a difference maker. But in this case, Cooper really was and enabled Tennessee to move Ollie Lane to guard his natural position, strengthen yourself at, at two positions. So I was really impressed with that. Uh, and as I said, even though the uh, South Carolina is so limited offensively, I just thought the secondary played a good game. And, and I haven't thought much of that secondary so far. Yep, I would agree with that. And by the way, what does uh, Cooper say about the program? Cooper Mays here. Hit like and subscribe. Hey, Coop, we appreciate that. And we certainly would like for you to do that. We're nearing a new mark on the program, 3,000 subscribers. So we're very excited about that. So we would love to go ahead and hit that mark. Let's get to four downs now. We're going to talk some Nico Mm -hmm. off the top because I thought John brought up a very interesting topic yesterday as we were preparing for the show and then caleb and i went through it at our 3 45 a.m production meeting as we do each and every day so it's four downs now brought to you by andy mason of andy mason real estate.com i'll tell you more but let me start with just best prices and service in the biz here we go four downs four questions Four answers. The Dave Hooker Show. Four. 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 Downs. A presentation of offthehooksports.com. Okay, so it's funny that John brought this up yesterday in our discussion because I wrote it. By the way, welcome to all those on the message board. We greatly appreciate you being a part of the program. I want to get to your comments, especially in this first topic, which I think you'll find quite compelling. I wrote a column before the UTSA game that it was important for Tennessee to get Nico some real snaps. And I'm not talking about going out there and playing in the fourth quarter against Virginia. I'm talking about real snaps running out there in the second half and uh, seeing what happens. That did not happen. Part of that was because of the game, um, but – I still think there was a possibility to get uh, Nico out there for some more snaps. Now, I say this for a couple of different reasons. I'm not knocking Joe Milton at all. I think he has his limitations. However, I I do believe that there is a a knee issue, um, and that was evident at the end of the second quarter of the UTSA game. So that would have been the perfect opportunity. Um, so let me go ahead and ask the first question. What down is it, Coop? Coop here. First down. All right. Uh, I'll start with John Adams. Should the Vols have played Nico more in and that's Nico? Ia Male Ava. Ia Male Ava in game like situations, particularly that UTS game, a UTSA game. Should he have run out against Texas San Antonio? Uh, in the first half and begun, or the second half, I should say, begun the second half as essentially the, the the first team quarterback with the first team unit. That's the difference between garbage time. A lot of times he's gone out there with a bunch of scrubs. John, let me start with you. Yeah, I'd even go back to the season opener against T- uh, Virginia. Uh, Tennessee had to know going into that game that Virginia is one of the worst FBS teams in the country. So 0-5 now. Uh I, I so I would have done it in that game too. 
Uh, I think Tennessee missed an opportunity in the Austin P game. I know Austin P was giving Tennessee a lot of trouble, but you got to think big picture here. And I think meaningful snaps matter a lot more than in, in the game with second and third teamers. Uh, you're Tennessee and a lot of teams are in this situation. They're really on thin ice in the quarterback situation. Texas A&M is a, is an exception. When Connor Wigman went down, it, it was able to bring in a veteran quarterback, Matt Johnson, who's won big SEC games. He he pulled off a huge upset in in the swamp a couple of years ago when he was at LSU, uh, beat the SEC East champions in a big upset. Uh, not many te- – I don't know if anybody else in the SEC – LSU does with Garrett Nussmeyer, but most teams don't have that kind of backup. And I would – the the fall could be huge if they lost the starter. And you brought it up. Uh, Joe Milton running around out there with a brace on his knee. He's he's pretty fast when he gets rolling, but he's not that agile. And he gets under a tough pass rush, has to move quickly. I mean, he's at high risk. And Tennessee's getting ready to play Texas A&M and Alabama back-to-back to physical defensive front. So I think Tennessee did miss an opportunity. Yeah, Caleb, I, I think so as well. I didn't go back to the Virginia game, but John did when he brought it up yesterday, and I thought it it, it made a, a, a good point. Um, your thoughts on should he have played in more game-like situations before we uh, get to some other aspects of Nico potentially uh, playing at some point or should have played? I think he should have, but and I, I do think if Josh Heupel could go back and knew how things were going to play out, he would have. I don't think Josh Heupel envisioned having to keep Joe Milton on the field into the fourth quarter of the Austin P game. I don't think for any second. I thought I thought he I think he was 100% sure that Nico would be on the field by the by the start of the second half. I think we all were. And so I think that oh, sorry what were you going to say Dave? I was just going to say I'll, I I will defend uh, Josh Heupel on that one because you're right. And again, we have to take this into account that Tennessee didn't have center Cooper Mays. So I don't think the entire offense was nearly as comfortable. Right. And that's where I was going to go next was without center Cooper Mays. I think a lot of the protection issues, I don't think you want to throw Nico out there when he's still undersized, when you're having protection issues because your center is not experienced playing center and your transfer left guard doesn't belong in power five football. Um, And so I think that was, the calculation he ended up making even against UTSA. So I think if he could go back, he probably would have played him against Virginia. Some I do or played him more. He did see some action, but he probably would have brought him in earlier, but I don't think Josh Heupel could have predicted what happened with the Austin P game. And I think that changed everything. Yeah. Uh, John, I want to be real clear too. I mean, I think this opens the door. People are asking, are we trying to start a quarterback controversy? But I mean, maybe Joe, Joe Milton played well last week, but he hasn't, played exceptional this entire season and he does have the knee issues so we're seeing quarterbacks uh go down i don't think there's a leak quarterback at most any school in the sec um and i would include tennessee in that so I, i have no problem with giving him a look but the problem based off people i talked to would be this what down coop cooper mays here second down what would something like that do to team chemistry? Because Joe is as likable as any player on this team. John, what say you? 
I don't think you can turn this into a sensitivity session. I mean, football is a highly competitive game. You you've got to you can't worry about that. You've got to count on your team leaders, your coaches to manage that. Um, you've got to get your team best best prepared to win as many games as possible. And I think that might mean giving playing time uh, sometimes to a backup quarterback. If a starting quarterback can't handle that kind of pressure, if a team can't handle that slight of a change, then you got bigger problems. And four downs brought to you by Andy Mason, Andy Mason, real estate.com best service, best prices in, in the biz. If you're looking at any sort of real estate transaction in Knoxville, AndyMasonRealEstate.com support our sponsors. Caleb, your thoughts on team chemistry from people I talk to, they do love Joe, and I do think it would have a negative effect. And we all remember 2005. Yeah, I, I, I think it would too. And I don't think Joe has done enough to lose the job yet to a quarterback who, if you threw him out there, I still keep maintaining that you could literally wreck him. Not, mentally but literally physically because i just don't think he has the size to be able to start regularly in the sec just yet and particularly when you talk about going up against texas and m and alabama i mean again they they could legitimately break him in half at this point so i i wow two for two dave and i are siding against john john i'm sorry we're ganging up on you this morning <laughs> uh, that doesn't bother me uh, i just don't uh i'm not saying that uh that uh, Nico should replace uh, Josh Joe Milton. I'm, I'm just saying that you need to have your backup quarterback prepared in it. And if that disturbs the team chemistry, you that you give the a backup quarterback meaningful snaps in a game, they're way too fragile to win anything of significance this season. You just can't worry about that kind of stuff. What down Coop? Tennessee center Cooper Mays here. Third down. Thank you. What about a Tim Tebow-like package? Now, I am not saying that he's the power-running quarterback that Tim Tebow is, but I'm sure there are things he does better than Joe. I think he's probably a little bit more agile, a little bit better runner. Caleb, I think that addresses your concern that he could get broken in half. He's not playing 80 snaps. He might play 10 would anybody support that, a, a, a Tim Tebow package where he comes in real game-like situations in, for a down or two per half? Let me start with you, John. Thoughts? Well, we've seen Joe Milton against both Austin P and Florida going into a passing slumps, so to speak, where all of a sudden he couldn't hit anybody. There were some drops in there, too. But if things, if he's not, if he's performing well, no, you don't change anything in a meaningful game. Uh, but if he has one of those lapses and he's prone to doing that, why not give Nico a, a series? I, I don't know what exactly he does best. Um, and I don't know his injury history. He's always been thin, I assume. He didn't suddenly become thin. So, and I know the guys are bigger and faster in college and it's a greater concern, but I just don't think you can baby a guy. You, I, I think if I just think it's important to really get him ready. Uh, I'd rather do it that way than have Joe Milton go down in the second quarter at Bryant Denny Stadium, and then you you tell Nico to put his helmet on. You're the quarterback. 
Uh, Caleb, what say you? Smoky Mountain Red on the message board said a thousand percent for Nico getting first team snaps. This definitely will split our audience. I could have told you that before the show. As Travis saying, I'll just go ahead and say it. Give Nico the start this Saturday and see how he does. That is sarcasm in text. Uh, Caleb, what do you think? I think that the problem with the Tim Tebow-like package is I've never seen – Nico would be a change of pace for his ability to – yes, he's more fluid runner, but it's not that much of a difference. It's him throwing the ball that's different. Tim Tebow was a change of pace because there's a third and two or fourth and one, and you got a pocket passer in Chris Leak, and you're bringing in a runner in Tim Tebow, and the defense is already on their heels. What's the change of pace Nico's going to bring? What, third and ten you're going to bring in Nico because he's a, he has a better arm than Joe Milton? Well, the defense isn't really on its heels on a third and ten in that moment. So I don't think you bring in, I don't think you bring in Nico just for like a change of pace to catch defenses off guard. I don't think that would work. Perhaps Dave, you shouldn't have brought him, brought up Tim Tebow because he's so, he was such a unique player. Uh, I do think though, when things aren't going well, you can use a change of pace and you would put together a package that best suits Nico's skill set. And it may be all passes, may not be any runs. It may be rollouts, whatever. But we know that Joe Milton really can't throw on the run, and now he's got a knee brace. Yep. Smoky Mountain Red saying if Redshirt is completely off the table, then why just stand him on the side? Give him some experience. If not, next year fans will complain about him having no game experience. I noticed that when Joe Milton was slow to get up from the knee injury, that certainly Nico was ready to go. He was right there involved and eager on the sideline. So I don't think there's any question he feels like he is ready to play. So let me ask the ultimate question on which down, Coop? All SEC center Cooper Mays here, fourth down. Will Nico play in a serious game situation without injury to Joe Milton this year? John? Uh, No, I don't think he will. I don't either. Caleb? Uh, no, because of the South Carolina game. I would have said yes if Tennessee had lost to South Carolina. They didn't. And so, yeah, and I don't think you know. Joe Milton is going to play poorly enough to open up that possibility. So there you go. I don't think you're going to see that this year unless Joe Milton has a couple of horrible games, unless Tennessee's out of any sort of championship, which now who knows in college football because I don't think there's an elite team. Something could open up and – uh, Joe Milton's pretty durable, pretty big guy. So uh, without injury, I don't think that Nico sees the field in a real game-like situation. Time for today's tough question. And here we go. Today's tough question brought to you by our friends at, of course, Zen Sports. Today's tough question. Take a side. Take a stand. The Dave Hooker Show, a presentation of offthehooksports.com. All right, and we want to hear from you on this one as well as we've been called the three master debaters. What? All right, today's tough question is this, the look on John's face. Hit the like and subscribe button and you can get that. I love to master debate Hooker. Yeah, each and every uh, Tuesday you can get that. Uh, John, the toughest games remaining on Tennessee's schedule would be the first round of the college football playoff. No, that's uh, getting ahead of myself. It would be Georgia, 
and Alabama. Today's tough question, most winnable game between those two. You have Georgia at home, plays down to every single opponent except for basically Tennessee last year because a former Tennessee quarterback decided to get on the radio and get Georgia's fans fired up. And you have an Alabama team that's going to want revenge. So which of the two is the more winnable games? Now, I want to start with Caleb on this. and I'm going to ask you to predict here. Caleb, what do you think the lines would be? I know you're a big-time gambler, so if, if you could just – I know I'm putting you on the spot asking you to predict, but what do you think the lines would be, Georgia at home, Alabama on the road? I think it'll be seven to nine Georgia on the road. I think it'll be 11 to 14 Alabama or Georgia at home, 11 to 14 Alabama on the road. I think you're going to look at close to two touchdowns for Alabama on the road. Okay. Well, I was going to say, I was going to think nine to 10 for about both. Um, John, what do you think of, of that number before we get into the more winnable game? Well, I think, well, it, it's hard to set it now because of what's coming up to Alabama playing A&M this week, Tennessee playing A&M the following week. I think the Alabama game could be – I think both lines could be under what you're saying. But that's incumbent upon how well Tennessee plays uh, against Texas A&M. I think that's going to that's gonna uh, sort of reshape how the rest of the season, the outlook for the rest of the season, that Texas A&M-Tennessee game. Travis says, is, oh, it's definitely Georgia. Appalachian Redroot said, Travis, I agree because of location. Guys, I disagree. I think Alabama is the more beatable team this season, and I know they've got revenge on their mind, but I saw that team get pushed around by Texas, and Tennessee's defensive front's pretty stout in a different sort of way, maybe not as big and strong, but fast and make plays. I I think the Alabama game now is more winnable, and um, I don't know that I would have said that before the season. You? Yeah, I I agree with you. I kind of, even though Georgia had a rough outing against Auburn, the game went in, it was undecided right until the end. I was really impressed with Carson Beck at quarterback. Uh, tremendous pressure on a guy trying to win a third, uh, third consecutive national championship, replacing Stetson Bennett. Hostile environment, his first hostile environment as a starting quarterback. And he, he was on target in that fourth quarter. He got the ball to Brock Bowers every time he needed to. Uh, so I, Georgia is better prepared to exploit Tennessee's defensive uh, weaknesses than Alabama is. I mean, Alabama running games might be about the same. Alabama gets an edge because of quarterback Jalen Milrow, but but overall, Georgia has uh, Georgia has better receivers and it has a much better passer. So, home field advantage notwithstanding, I would still say Georgia. Caleb. I disagree with both you guys. And this is not based on last week's game. I'm actually mostly with John. I don't think – I think people are overreacting to Georgia struggling at Auburn. That's an SEC rivalry game on the road against a well against a good coach at Auburn who I, I think very lowly of as a human, but I think very highly of as a coach in Hugh Freeze. I, I picked Auburn to cover that day. I said at the beginning of the year that Georgia was a more likely win for Tennessee than Alabama, and I'm sticking to it partially because of the home versus road scenario. But there's also the factor that I think Alabama's learning how to use Jalen Milrow. Now he's not a great quarterback. They are turning him into a run first quarterback, which at the college level, yeah, it's kind of a, it's a throwback, but you can win with that. 
And there's kind of been a defensive renaissance in college football. If you look at the, if you track the data and the points over the past couple of years. So I think it fits with what Alabama is doing. And look, I think y'all are short selling their defense to a certain degree. They, people look at the fact that they gave up 34 points to Texas. Well, they were, they gave up 13 points through the third quarter and the defense just couldn't, again, they couldn't get any support from the offense. And that's how that went down in the fourth quarter. So I think it's Georgia is more winnable, mostly because I think Mike Bobo is most likely to choke away a game, more likely to do that than Nick Saban. Mike Bobo just learned that he had Brock Bowers like two weeks ago. He's just like, oh, I have this great tight end that everybody in the world knew was good. Maybe I should use him. And so that's why I think he helps Tennessee. No, and John, I will say this. Um, with Jalen Milrow, that could be a game where Tennessee theoretically outplays uh, Alabama. But with Tennessee's vertical pass rush, could he bust a gap or two and make a couple of plays that could change the whole flow of the game? Yes, I think that's a real possibility. Carson Beck doesn't give you that to that extent. No, I agree. But I would still rather face a running quarterback than a player that can throw the ball as well as Carson, well as Carson Beck does. Uh, keep in mind that Georgia's receiving core could be much better by the time it gets to Tennessee. Lad McConkey's just working his way back into the rotation. He's a dynamic wide receiver. Pair him with uh, Bowers and uh, some of those other guys. And I think Georgia's passing game will keep getting better. I just see more of an upside with Georgia in the second half of the season than I do with Alabama. I just think uh, – and I'm not shortchanging Alabama's defensive front. It's playing well. Uh, but I would still – if you're going to pick a game to win, I just – I would pick Alabama over Georgia. Well, and the other thing about Georgia that that I want to get to that we have to address, and it's it's tough, and it, it's not something you can really wrap your hands around, but it's it's a factor. First, let me, let me tell you about Zen Sports. Zen Sports is the new sports book in Tennessee, revolutionizing the way you earn sports betting rewards. That means no more deposit bonuses that turn into deposit nightmares. On Zen Sports, what you see is what you get. And with their cash rewards program, you get a lot of cash. For a welcome bonus, earn an unlimited 5% cash back on your betting volume for your first 15 days when you sign up with promo code HOOKED. That's HOOKED, unlimited 5% cash back. Keep betting, keep earning with up to 3% cash back on your betting volume every month. After that, support our sponsors, and that's Zen Sports. You refer friends to earn a percentage of their betting volume as cash rewards too, Zen Sports bringing the cash back to Tennessee. So if you bet big on sports, you want to be betting on Zen Sports. Zen Sports betting just got better. Call 1-800-889-9789. Must be 21 and over. And in Tennessee to bet, support our sponsors, Zen Sports. The thing that we don't know, guys, Georgia played down to their competition for what, 80% of the season last year and still even in the college football playoff. And John still won a national title. So I do we ever know how good in these past 18 months Georgia really is? Yeah, you Georgia also had some dominant games last season. I I don't think this team is nearly as complete as the last one was. It doesn't have a big play running back. It's moved a wide receiver into the running back to uh you know into the backfield to try and get more playmaking ability there. Uh, its defense isn't is good. Nazir Stackhouse at Nas Stackhouse at, at nose tackle can't do what the last two nose tackles did. 
uh, Jalen Carter, and before him, uh, what was his name, Jordan Davis. Those guys took up two blockers. Just about everybody double-teamed them, and it freed some players, particularly those really good linebackers, to make more plays. Georgia's not putting a lot of pressure on on the quarter, opposing quarterbacks. I don't think that's a matter of not playing up to their potential. I think that that's just kind of what Georgia is right now. It's just not as good at some points that were crucial last season. And while I like Carson Beck, uh, what he's done, he's not as good as Stetson Bennett. And yep. and so they're at Georgia overall now. It's not playing that great at the line of scrimmage on either side of the ball. Two teams that are, I think, are on the same level, um, uh, Kentucky and if, if we look at Missouri and what they did last week, we're going to talk about the most losable game because I think there's a difference, obviously, between Alabama, Georgia on one end of the spectrum and a and I'm sorry, and Vanderbilt on the other. And then I think a and is kind of a coin flip game, but two games that Tennessee should win in Kentucky and Vanderbilt, or, I'm sorry, uh, Kentucky and Missouri, you would think that they should win. Um, I want to ask which is the most losable in just uh, two minutes. Brought to you by Apex Apparel Group, design, brand, market, your way, unique products to promote your business with unparalleled customer service. ApexApparelGroup.com. Back in two minutes. Our family has been creating one-of-a-kind pieces of jewelry in West Knoxville since 1986. Each piece is a combination of unique processes that bring your idea to life. Every day in our shop, a truly special item with a story all its own is being manufactured in our facility, bringing the history and family sentiment into a whole new generation of life. We're grateful that you chose us to be Knoxville's best jeweler, a title that we value and respect. Because to me, being a jeweler and owning a jewelry store are not the same thing. I'm Rick Terry. I'm a jeweler. And we want to be your jeweler. Kingston Pike and Campbell Station Road in the heart of Farragut and downtown on Gay Street right next to the Tennessee Theater. Hi, Mike Davis here with City Heating and Air, reminding you to always dare to compare. Our team provides quality local heating and air service, installation, and maintenance across East Tennessee. We use only the best equipment like American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning for your residential, new construction, or commercial needs. Honesty, dependability, and customer satisfaction have been the cornerstones of our business since 1961. City Heat and Air. These mountains hold and defend a spirit far better than moonshine. A drink that holds flavor that becomes necessity. A hard cider made and relished by folk who are as hearty as they are legend. A refreshment that can only be found in one place. With a taste that makes you say, give me three bottles of the good stuff. Tennessee Cider Company, where necessity can be found. Who's this guy? Hello, wizard. The Dave Hooker Show, a presentation of Off the Hook Sports. What? YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the free Off the Hook Sports app. Back to Dave Hooker. 
With the one, the only, it is John Adams. We certainly appreciate that. And John, where may we follow your work? Uh, Knoxville News Sentinel, knoxnews.com. And uh, check out our podcast, SEC Unfiltered, with uh, Blake Topmeyer. Dave, I just want to take a second to congratulate you on the way you use all SEC Center, all SEC Center Cooper Mays. I really think before the next game, when he lines up for the first snap, he should say to the nose tackle in front of him, all SEC center Cooper Mays here, first down. All SEC center Cooper Mays here, fourth down. <laughs> Cooper Mays here, hit like and subscribe. Yeah, I appreciate that. He'll throw the guy off his game, I guarantee you. Yeah, he's like, what the H? He said the center's calling the snap. By the way, his new nickname, John, is the General. What do you think about the General? I think that's appropriate after the way Tennessee played with the General in place. Yeah, you you might advance him up to uh, president if uh, Tennessee beats Texas A&M. Are they practicing this morning? Can I text Coop right now and see? I don't want to bother him during practice. I wouldn't well, want him. I wouldn't want him to be saying Cooper Mays here. Like Oops, I have a text. Hey, no, te- text him and say, what down is it, Cooper? Tennessee Center, Cooper Mays here. Third down. Third yeah. down. Okay. Caleb, you think I should text him now and see what he thinks about the nickname, the, the General? I mean, guys, aren't we being very disrespectful to General Robert Nealon? Isn't there just one general in Tennessee That's history? the only thing I didn't like about it. Like, if he was the major uh, Smoky Mountain Red, I think it would have stuck for sure. But because there is an actual general that the stadium's named after that did serve in the war, the, one of the big ones, too. Um, I think two wars. That, Let, let's call it what it, he served in, two, like, two wars. Yeah, so. both, the, both the big ones. Um, yeah, I, I think that would be slightly disrespectful. So wouldn't want to do that. All right, it is time for What the H. Brought to you by Campbell Cunningham. Taylor and Han. So here we go. Oh, what the H? I think I got it right there. What the? What was he thinking? Release the hounds. The Dave Hooker Show. Keep cool. A presentation of offthehooksports.com. He was clearly the field general this past weekend, as I see on the message board. There's no question about it. Uh, so I ask you this question. So I got Alabama and Georgia as tough games. They would be upsets. We all agree. We disagreed on the number of points that each team uh, would be uh, favored by. However, I think Texas A&M, which is coming up, is more of a coin flip game. But we have seen Missouri and Kentucky play at a really high level. I give uh, Caleb a lot of kudos for being on top of the Kentucky thing. He mentioned that way back in the offseason. I looked at their roster and I was like, yeah, he's right. I mean, that's that's a tougher game than than I thought at first. And they're off that Will Levis train, which is, I think, a little bit like heroin. Um, you just want more and more, but it never comes through for you. So, John, I'll ask you this. The most losable game. <laughs> what? The most losable game is either Missouri or Kentucky for Tennessee. We want to hear you on the message board. And look at this shout out to my guy, uh, Caleb, uh, Charles McFall, saying Caleb is a quick thinker and the best historian I've seen. How about that? Pretty, Pretty good with some love. 
I, I think um, between the two teams that Kentucky is the most losable, I thought that before the season. I'm going to stick with that because I think Eli Drinkwitz is, is good about one in three games for just having a complete dolt outing. Yeah, that's fair. Um, <laughs> I picked – I picked up. I hope Eli's watching right now. Eli, oh, that's fair. Like, there's no question. That's a very good possibility. Um, yeah, I, I just, in preseason, I thought uh, Missouri was slightly ahead of Vanderbilt. Well, maybe not slightly, just ahead of Vanderbilt, but I thought it would be six in the East. Um, I really underrated Missouri. Uh, so impressed with the way it played against Kansas State. It has a home field advantage now. The crowd was really into the game. The reason I think it's tougher uh, for Tennessee to win that game than Kentucky, Kentucky has a depth issue. If it loses Ray Davis at star running back, I don't know who the go-to guy would be. It's so dependent on him. And and even Devin Leary, who probably hasn't been as good as he was two years ago before he was hurt at NC State. But – the drop-off between Devin Leary and the next guy would be su- substantial. I think Missouri could withstand a, an injury at those positions a little bit better. Uh, so I, I just kind of – I just think – and also there's a history. Uh, it, it, Tennessee just – Kentucky just goes out of its way to find ways to lose against Tennessee, even on those rare occasions when it has more talent. I mean, it just finds a way to lose games. Sometimes it's a boneheaded coaching move. So a lot of times it's a field goal kicker who suddenly can't get the ball airborne. It's uh, just a lot of things through the years. Just It's hard for me to think of Tennessee losing to Kentucky. But I think both of those games will definitely be, be tougher than they were last year. I feel the exact opposite way uh, about Missouri. I just can't envision them losing to Missouri. To me, uh, Caleb Eli Drinkwitz would kind of have to out Josh Heupel, Josh Heupel with with less talent. Um, Tennessee, I think, would be able to score more points against Kentucky. And if Missouri tries to keep up on the scoreboard, I don't think it's going to work out. Which do you think is more losable, Missouri or Kentucky? So uh, I – this is very tough for me because I do believe in history to a certain degree. And John is right. There is Tennessee and Kentucky is like, it's very similar to Tennessee and Florida from the other way where Tennessee just, I think, and I do believe there's a psychological factor that filters down through the campus to the players when Kentucky plays Tennessee or when Tennessee plays Florida, where they're like, Oh no, we're supposed to lose this game. (laughs) So on that, and, and just for a quick history lesson, John, I don't know if you, you probably know the story, but 1950, Bear Bryant's best team ever at Kentucky, going to Tennessee to play, clearly had the better team. The great blizzard, Appalachian blizzard of 1950 hits the week of the game. Tennessee fans at Neyland Stadium decide that Tennessee decides to not shovel the snow because they felt it would give them an advantage. There were like 17 fumbles in the game. Tennessee wins 7 to nothing. John, I remember and, you writing a column about that. Uh, yeah, I did. Um, I wrote a couple on it, actually. Did a follow-up column the next day, too. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's a dramatic it's, game to cover. It's one that kind of sticks with you. <laughs> yeah, Mother Nature even decided, no, t- Tennessee can't lose to Kentucky. And so, <laughs> but all that being said, John, I agree with Dave. I think Kentucky's a bigger threat. I think Kentucky's a better team. 
I think Kentucky's better coached than Missouri. Now, I picked you had them th- sixth. I did pick them fifth because I actually picked Florida to finish sixth in the East this year. Um, but I do think Kentucky's a better coach team. Eli Drinkwitz is like falling down an elevator and landing in a gold mine. I guess that's the phrase because he should he the only reason that they had needed a 61 yard field goal to beat Kansas State was because he didn't have his team lined up for the game winning field goal for a 56 yarder. So this guy is not that great of a coach. Also, I think Kentucky fans are more intimidating than Missouri fans on the road. And most notably, this is a big one. Guys, Kentucky has Tennessee coming off a bye. That's a big deal. So they have two weeks to prepare for Tennessee. And so I think well, that's why Kentucky. While you're ridiculing uh, Eli Drinkwood's uh, coaching ability, keep in mind that Ed Orgeron coached one of the greatest teams in SEC history. Still remember SEC media days. I went up to somebody and I said, you know, I think they're loaded, but I just can't see him hoisting the national championship trophy. And sure enough, he did. All right. Who, which coach would you guys, which coach like just managed talent and did nothing and did less? Ed Orgeron or Larry Coker? Oof. I would, what is recruiting count as doing something? <laughs> I mean, if recruiting counts as doing something, I would say Larry Coker did less. But if, but if they don't call it a coin flip and I don't know. Well, I'll put it this way. If they're playing a chess match, I'd take Larry Coker. <laughs> if, they're play- if they're playing a chess match, I'll take the board. But <laughs> we're in early October. And that's Barry Switzer. Is that for the NFL, right? For the Cowboys in 95? Oh, no, no question. Don't get me started eating a hot dog during a game. Um <laughs> So, but out of the two guys, we're in early October. Who has the greatest chance of messing their team up, Eli or Mark Stoops? Uh, That's a tough question. Uh, Some of the worst football and worst coaching I've seen in the SEC in recent years has been in Missouri-Kentucky games. Uh, That game's worth watching even when both teams are bad, just just to see how far they could fall or... Uh, there have just been some really odd games between those teams. I think they play in Lexington this year, which should favor Kentucky. But it's a game that if I'm covering a Tennessee game at the same time, then I would record that game just to see what could go wrong. Yep, I, I, I'm, I'm with you there. Brought to you by Campbell, Cunningham, Taylor, and Hahn. Enjoy life better when you see better. Local vision service with LASIK cataract surgery and regular eye examinations, go to ccteyes.com, ccteyes.com. Look at me, no contacts, no glasses. Guys, is the NFL, NIL, uh, is the NIL affecting football decisions? Most notably, because it's Tennessee, you would say that there might be a push to get Nico to play because he's supposedly getting 8 or $9 million, a number that I think has been a little bit inflated. But there are other uh, uh, players out there. Um, I think Dante Thornton would be a more apt example. I know he got some cash to come to Tennessee in the transfer portal. Um, I think he's been out there quite a bit, whereas I think Squirrel White gives you a greater threat from that slot position. John, do you think NIL, not just to Tennessee, but across the board in college football, NIL investments are affecting college football decisions. Well, if they are, the coaches are in big trouble. I mean, you've got to use the you've got to use the NFL model here for if you're paying guys to play. 
uh, you can't elect, you can't let that influence your decision. Otherwise, Bill Belichick would never, uh, never taken Drew Bledsoe out of the starting position for Tom Brady. Uh, he was uh, one of the highest paid players in the NFL. Tom Brady was working for uh, uh, not nearly as much money. So, yeah, I, I just don't think I, I can see where there could be some pressure to bear on a coach occasionally, depending on the situation, maybe from families of players. Um, but I just can't, I, I just don't see how that would be possible. You've got to play your best guys. It, it's too hard to win in this sport unless you're playing your best guys. And you're making a big mistake if you say, oh, well, he's making more money. Let's get him out there and let's appease our, our boosters and our collective. That you just, that won't work. Well, I'll, I'll differ with you on one thing, John. With NIL money, if I'm paying a player and his family, they don't even get my cell phone number. I'm not even appeasing kids anymore and coaches used to have to do that Caleb what say you so I do think this is a case-by-case basis um I don't want to put a blanket uh thing over it and and to go the NFL model I'm going to quote funny enough believe it or not a former president before he was ever president on he was on quite frankly Donald Trump was on quite frankly with Stephen A. Smith one time and had a saying which is if I give you a thousand dollar loan and you can't pay it back you've got a problem but if I give you a 200 million dollar loan and you can't pay it back we both have a problem. And so with NIL, I think that's where it's going, which is if you pay a player like $10,000 and he doesn't perform or he's a bust, that's on that player. It takes $10,000, but he's not going to play. If you pay a player $8 million and he's a bust, you've got kind of an issue with, with some boosters. And I think that is a bigger issue. That's a great point. I want to I want to further that with there are coaching decisions that are made. And I think Hendon Hooker and Joe Milton in 2021 would be one that you have to make that in your mind as a coach are close to 50 50. John, so if it's 55 45, I think guy A over guy B should play. But guy B is supported by Pilot, one of the biggest sponsors I'm not leaning towards God B if it's close. And these decisions are oftentimes, they, they look like easy decisions afterwards, but a lot of times they're pretty close in, in camp and in practice. Well, you also have to consider, as, uh, as Caleb said, case by case, you also have to consider the position uh, the coach is in. If he's solely entrenched as a head coach, uh, he doesn't he doesn't have to bend to the will of boosters in the least bit. If he's Billy Napier at Florida, you know he might 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 have a little bit better listening when when it comes to uh, boosters. I think so. I think it does depend on on how secure the coach is, and there aren't a lot of secure coaches, maybe, but there are also a lot of high paid ones in the SEC. Uh, and Josh Heupel is one of those guys. I don't I don't think people are going to question Josh Heupel much right now. Now you, you talk about your where you are in your security and your decision-making concerning NIL on the flip side, uh, Smoky mountain red says NIL has clearly balanced out recruiting from Saban taking all the talent. Do you think it's that simple, John? Yeah, I guess. I mean, the, the whole NIL thing just raises so many questions and you combine it with the transfer portal. It's just a completely different world. And I think we're headed for, 
chaos, really. It's an overused word, perhaps, but this December, I think we're going to see more movement, unlike anything we've ever seen so far. And the impact could be enormous. How do you see that impact, Caleb, uh, in, in the future years? I think you're going to see uh, talent spread evenly like peanut butter. So it's hard to predict because here's what's happening in college football right now. There were three sticks of dynamite under like the land of college football. One was NIL. One was the transfer portal. The other or four, actually. The other was conference realignment. And the other was changing, you know, altering the postseason. All four of those sticks were lit at the exact same time, which is crazy to think about if you really break it down. And they all are connected to each other because NIL is going to affect the transfer portal. It's also going to affect whether or not somebody decides to play in the postseason. And then you have conference realignment determining is there going to be a hierarchy in college football that we're not aware of yet. And so it's absolutely crazy. Um to think about the fact that look i'm going to be honest i'm making some predictions i don't know how this all ends up and i don't think anybody does because i think what you've seen is again you lit four sticks of dynamite at the exact same time and nobody knows exactly what's going to be the result of that when it explodes the entire landscape john i do think it would have been been better um to adjust to for programs but they're all being getting millions of dollars so i don't really care but it would have been better for them if it had been one step at a time, it just kind of got all thrown on college universities in like roughly 18 months. Yeah. It's a proverbial runaway train. Uh, obviously the NCA was, wasn't ready for this. It wasn't very farsighted. I don't think it was very good in projecting what could happen, but I mean, what do we expect from the NCA? So uh, yeah, it's just, I just think though, it's just going to keep building. I, I still think we're, uh, we just don't know where this headed and is headed and we don't know how extreme it's going to be. No, I, I, I agree. Uh, John, great stuff as always. How do we follow your work? Uh, Knox News Sentinel and Oxford News Sentinel and knoxnews.com and check out our podcast, SEC Unfiltered with Blake Guys, I think my my sound muted. I think my 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 speaker muted. I'm sorry. One, I, I need one second. Mine did too. I oh, there we any... go. I can't hear Dave. I can't hear Dave. We can't hear you. Maybe he's really not talking. He's just moving his lip to lips to throw us off guard. <laughs> That's what I think too. Yeah. Is that? I I I can't hear him at all. Our family has been creating one-of-a-kind pieces of jewelry in West Knoxville since 1986. Each piece is a combination of unique processes that bring your idea to life. Our family has been creating one-of-a-kind pieces of jewelry in West Knoxville since 1986. Each piece is a combination of unique processes 
that bring your idea to life. Every day in our shop, a truly special item with a story all its own is being manufactured in our facility, bringing the history and family sentiment into a whole new generation of life. We are grateful that you chose us to be Knoxville's best jeweler, a title that we value and respect. Because to me, being a jeweler and owning a jewelry store are not the same thing. I'm Rick Terry. I'm a jeweler, and we want to be your jeweler. Kingston Pike and Campbell Station Road in the heart of Farragut and downtown on Gay Street right next to the Tennessee Theater. Hi, Mike Davis here with City Heating and Air, reminding you to always dare to compare. Our team provides quality local heating and air service, installation, and maintenance across East Tennessee. We use only the best equipment like American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning for your residential, new construction, or commercial needs. Honesty, dependability, and customer satisfaction have been the cornerstones of our business since 1961. City Heat and Air. These mountains hold and defend a spirit far better than moonshine. A drink that holds flavor that becomes necessity. A hard cider made and relished by folk who are as hearty as they are legend. A refreshment that can only be found in one place. With a taste that makes you say, give me three bottles of the good stuff. Tennessee Cider Company, where necessity can be found. Welcome back to the show. Checking with Dave real quick to see how things are going. Dave, how's it going on your end? Still have some technical difficulties right now. Dave, can you hear me? Still trying to work on things. We're going to dive in uh, while we're waiting on Dave to get back going. We're actually going to dive in on our next topic, which is kind of an interesting one. And it's related to Billy Napier in Florida and Texas A&M, which is this. Billy Napier said on Monday, I believe it was Monday, yesterday, that he would remain Florida's play caller despite the offensive woes of the Gators. Now, for context, guys, Florida has Rob Sale, who is the Florida has Rob Sale, who is their official offensive coordinator. However, Rob Sale does not call the plays. Billy Napier calls the plays. Um, so, excuse me, guys, one second. More technical difficulties real, real, real quick. I, I apologize for these. I'll tell you what. Oh, wait, we got you back. We got you back. All right, you got me back. I apologize for that. My goodness, that's pure craziness. Let's get right back into the program. Uh, I got you back as well. So here we go. I have no idea what happened there. Pretty sure it's not on the Caleb or Hooker end, which you don't want to be on the Hooker end. Um, so we, we talked about NIL affecting football decisions. Now let's get to some other topics. Billy Napier to remain Florida's play caller despite offensive woes. Texas A&M thriving after Jimbo Fisher gave up his play calling duties to Bobby Petrino. Should coaches call plays? In general, I think it depends. I think if you're Steve Spurrier, you should call plays. I think if you're Josh Heupel, you should call plays. I think that Jimbo Fisher is not in that category despite a national championship, Caleb. 
I think he had Jameis Winston. I think Billy Napier is nowhere near that category. So long story short, I think it depends. If I'm Josh Heupel, I think he should call plays. If I'm one of those other dudes, I'm okay with taking the criticism and taking a step back. Um, what say you, Caleb? Yeah, I was just mentioning uh, before we were able to bring you back on, funny enough, that Rob Sale was is technically the offensive coordinator at Florida, but he's not calling the plays, which I never understand the point of having a coordinator. Lane Kiffin did this at Tennessee, right, when he had Jim Chaney as his offensive coordinator, even though he called all the plays and ran the quarterbacks. It didn't make any sense at that time. And Whatever. I didn't have a problem so much. I, I didn't have a problem so much as as him calling plays. I just think that there needs to be a clear understanding of what is going uh, to get called. And my issue is going to be more along the lines, Caleb. Of is there a clear game plan? Let me. Did I break up any anywhere at that point? Sorry, slight, just slightly, but you're back. Okay, okay. Mind. All right, I'm just trying to get this fixed on my end. I think we're having some restream problems, but uh, I think that um, really the game planning is is most important. You know what you're going to do in certain downs and situations. That to me is the biggest thing. And David Cutcliffe said this to me one time, and he said it on the air, and people freaked out. Like, literally, the phone lines and just, like, the message board would blow up now. Um, you it just it, – people thought David Cutcliffe was crazy. And David Cutcliffe said that he believed that uh, play calling is the most overrated aspect of being an offensive coordinator because he said you should pretty much know – your quarterback should know what they want to call in that particular play. And back then, Tennessee ran a freeze play where Peyton Manning would come to the line and he would have a couple of different options. So I think it's overrated, number one. Now, Travis says you hired offensive coordinator, you hired defensive coordinator to let them call their game, override them as needed. Man, I, I tend to agree with Travis because you have the bird's eye view and you're not on the sideline. You can see secondary better. But I do think there are rare exceptions like Steve Spurrier and Josh Heupel that if they say, hey, dudes, I'm calling the play, then you defer to them. Would you agree or disagree with that, Caleb? No, I would absolutely agree. And it depends on the situation. You're right. Play calling is a lot of times overrated now because of the offenses that are run. The problem with Jimbo Fisher, and this is a problem with Jimbo Fisher, and this is why he said that uh, uh, to be fair, David Cutcliffe said that way before nowadays. I mean, that was 15 years ago, 2013, I would say, but okay. Jimbo Fisher to me has the cam camera mentality, which is I'm calling this specific play that will be run at this specific time. Every single play, every single time you have no right to change the the play as a quarterback. I don't care what's happening. You call the play. I called period in the story. And there are no options or anything like that. And I think that's been an issue with Fisher it was an issue with Cam Cameron back in the day. The year the Ravens won the Super Bowl was the year they fired Cam Cameron midseason. And they actually, Joe Flacco of all people, they let turn loose. So you're right. It is an overrated old school thing. Again, I'm with you. It's case by case. Now, what, one of the things we're not talking about, funny enough, is on the defensive side. I don't know if you know this, Dave, but Jeremy Pruitt was effectively the defensive coordinator at Tennessee his first year. He called all the plays. Derek Ansley called the plays the last two years, although I think Jeremy Pruitt's fingerprints are all over that. How do you think that works with somebody like Nick Saban? I feel like Kirby Smart was calling the plays, at least at the end, but I feel like since then, do you feel like Nick Saban has really been calling the plays on defense or has he let his coordinators do the work? You know, I, I wonder too, Caleb, how much better off 
is is Tennessee and the rest of the SEC if Billy Napier is calling plays, to be real honest with you. Uh, and how much better off is the SEC or worse off if Bobby Petrino is handling those play-calling duties? I think those are two very different situations, and one of which Tennessee will have to face and already has to face. If I'm Tennessee um, facing A&M, I want Jimbo Fisher overriding Bobby Petrino because I think it creates some sort of internal issue. If I'm Tennessee playing Florida again, which I know can't happen, but I, I would want Billy Napier calling plays. I, I, your your thoughts on on those two teams individually and the way their hierarchy is set up. I'm, I exactly agree, but for the whole SEC as a whole, you prefer that situation to be that situation because that means Billy Napier is here next year and Bobby Petrino might get a head coaching job and leave after this year. And one of the things I want to bring up is we have experience with Billy Napier as an offensive coordinator. He was Clemson's offensive coordinator in 2010. Dabo Sweeney almost lost his job that year and fired Billy Napier to save his job. And then Clemson took off after that, after Billy Napier was fired. So we have proof of Billy Napier as a bad play caller. And I don't think he's been that good of a play caller since he's been at Florida. You can talk about the Tennessee game. That was a that was just a wild sequence of events that happened. So okay, let me ask you, let me ask you this as it pertains to Tennessee. What do you think? And we can ask this, but what do you think is it is Josh Heupel's duties as far as play calling on game days. You think he's calling the plays? Do you think he's getting suggestions? I don't know that they have time for suggestions. I'm sure he has override capability. Um, but what 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 do you what do you think are his duties? Maybe we'll ask about that at the press conference on Wednesday. I think Josh Heupel probably. I don't know how this works with Heupel. My guess is Heupel does the game planning and mostly lets the offensive coordinator call the plays in the game. But I think Heupel does all the offensive game planning. I think that's Heupel's offense and he does all the offensive game planning and he lets the coordinator and the quarterback call the plays. And we've seen that because what people don't realize is offense is based on the court. Now this is personnel based. Heupel's run pass percentages and his deep ball percentages and things like that on a yearly basis are not exactly the same. This offense is not the same offense that he ran at UCF when he went undefeated in 2018. It's a little bit different from that. So I think that has to do with Heupel's, again, it, it, it goes right to what you talked about. Play calling is overrated. Heupel's role is he does all the game planning for the offense during the week. And makes all. I think he makes all the personnel decisions too for the offense. You have, uh, including the coordinator, you have one, two, three, four, and the head coach, you have five coaches, right, that are involved in offensive game planning, right? Uh, let's see. Hi, and Joey Hosley, Glenn Ellerby, Jerry Mack, Kelsey Pope, and Alec Ablin, and that doesn't include Josh Heupel. So, so it would yeah, be five, five right? Five on-field offensive coaches, yeah. Okay. To me, when you come to the line on a second and six – 90% of the time, everybody should be predicting the same play. Now, there are going to be occasions where you're going to run the Princeton fan end around and things like that that they did last year, but you should all be thinking of the same play 
each and every time. You should also be thinking about Rick Terry Jewelry Design. They want to be your jeweler looking for affordable game day jewelry. How about the fire opals? That's a Tennessee tradition. They're affordable. Go to rickterryjewelry.com. That's rickterryjewelry.com. I don't think that if 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 you're and if you're Kelsey Pope, I'm just picking him out of left field. But if you're Kelsey Pope, I don't think that you should be surprised by any play call that happens during the game. Uh, Caleb, I think you should have a rough idea of what's going on based off what you've seen from the defense earlier and what you've game planned for all week. I don't I don't think it should be a surprise whatsoever. That's why I go back to David Cutcliffe's comments. I think play calling is highly, highly overrated. There might be a, a handful of calls in the season that change the course of a game, but there's not a lot. No, no. And I mean, also a lot of times I know this certain offenses only have like five plays that they go to on a regular basis. That's pretty much it. I can tell you guys right now, you guys thought when you guys watched the Colts and the Broncos play all those Peyton Manning years or Peyton Manning looks so much smarter than the rest of the league. They, I, I watched it thing with Peyton Manning on it you know he only had like four or five plays in his arsenal the whole time and all he was doing with all those changes at the line of scrimmage was he was trying to get the defense to bite on his on his audibles 90 percent of those calls were dummy calls that they, they weren't going to change anything his goal was to try to get the defense to bite and so that's I think that's a lot of what football is now is the quarterback just reading the defense to a certain degree and the play call is pretty simple at that point do you remember the Omaha Omaha Yes. I think sometimes that was same, same. And I think that was freeze, freeze using from the Tennessee days, the freeze play where they would change it. So I, I think they went into some games where Omaha meant do the exact same thing we called. And at other times it, it meant to change it. So, yeah. And, and as far as putting together a game plan, who would you take Bobby Petrino or would you take Jimbo Fisher? I know Jimbo Fisher has the national championship under his belt. I know that we think of Bobby Petrino as kind of a goofball because he shows up in a neck brace and he was on a motorcycle with a co-ed driving too fast. But as far as game planning, putting together an offense, I'll take Bobby Petrino any day over Jimbo Fisher. Yeah, I will too. I will too. Now, I thought the game had passed both of them by. I was wrong. It looks like Bobby Petrino has evolved finally. I think the game did pass him by, and I think he accepted it and changed afterward whenever he was, wherever he was, Idaho or wherever he was, the maybe Missouri State. But I, I agree. I think Bobby Petrino, now I would take him over Jimbo Fisher. I think Fisher was really stuck in a certain way for a long time, like it was the mid-2000s. Look, I'm not here to knock Jimbo Fisher, the offensive coach. The 2001 SEC, anybody that questions him, go go watch the 2001 SEC championship game. He changed on a fly from Rohan Davey to Matt Mock. And John Chavis was left completely confused on how to stop a running quarterback because that was not who they prepared for all week in Rohan Davey. And no, I absolutely agree. Sports treasures carrying over five million sports treasures and so much more follow on facebook for the best sports updates that is sports treasures tn on facebook sports treasures tn and they're dropping stuff all the time speaking of dropping dropping in on the party which of these teams is most likely to be this year's tcu and i would argue that it's even more open than it was last year because I thought Southern California was really good at this time last year. I thought Georgia was good, but playing down to their opponents. Uh, I thought Ohio State was really good this time last year. So I didn't see a TCU dropping in. 
in early October. Obviously, they did. But let me ask you about some teams if they could uh, drop in on the race in the college football playoff. And one, Tennessee will play. Uh, You've got me a list of uh, teams out there. You say Kentucky? Kentucky's not going to drop in on the college football playoff. Okay, these are the teams that are undefeated that you wouldn't consider to have a legitimate shot at the playoff. So let's get the teams that have a legitimate shot that are undefeated out of the way. Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, Texas, Florida State, Penn State, USC, Washington, Oregon, and Oklahoma. Those are the 10 undefeated teams that they have a shot at the playoff, right? Yes. Okay. These other, the, there are 12 more teams. These are the ones I named that are still undefeated, that it would shock you if they stayed in the race. And they could be a nuisance for Tennessee, not just by playing Tennessee, but, or not just Tennessee, another team. Say you're one of those one or two lost teams trying to jockey for that fourth spot, but this other lower level team just won't lose like TCU did last year. That's right. who I'm talking about. Which of those could be the nuisance? And th- that's who these 12 teams are. Okay. Uh, I say Kentucky's not going to run. I don't, I don't think they'll be a nuisance, but I will give you this. I think that on this list that Kentucky is the most likely. So let's run through some uh, so, some of these other teams. You want to hang Kingsley and Tracy Morgan me for each one? Oh, Maybe. The sound effects may not work right now, so it's okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, I thought it was. It was Tracy Morgan you there, but we're having a little bit of te- technical difficulties. Missouri, I was like, that's crazy. I don't think that uh, Missouri can drop in on the college football playoff. Uh, could they be a nuisance? Um, well, if they're a nuisance, they would have to beat Tennessee. So I don't know that that completely fits the criteria we're looking for. If you're another, if, if you're like a Penn State, though, in, in the Big Ten, could they be a nuisance for you? Certainly, certainly. If they have, if they're a one loss Tennessee team, if they if they have one loss in the SEC, then I think that they're in the college football playoff conversation. Washington State in a surprisingly good Pac-12 that's about to be relegated, downgraded, whatever you want to uh, uh, call it. Uh, I think that's the situation. Uh, Washington State did just beat Oregon State, who then turned around and beat Utah. And just for the record, but no, I don't think they'll be a nuisance because they have to visit UCLA, they have to visit Oregon, and then they have to visit Washington. They're not winning all three of those games. That's not possible. So who out of this group, the rest of them, UNC, Miami, Louisville, Maryland, Fresno State, James Madison, Marshall, Air Force, Liberty. I hate to sound like a broken record, but I'll sound like I was uh, last October, and that is I don't see a team breaking into the college football playoff from that group. Do you? Watch out for UNC. They get Miami at home. Okay, so outside of Miami at home, their next three games are Syracuse at home, Miami at home, Virginia at home, and then Georgia Tech on the road, and then Campbell. Dave, if they beat Miami, they're going to start the year 9-0. and And then they have Duke at home, by the way, at home, which they should win, even though Duke started the year undefeated. UNC getting Duke at home, UNC should win. Their only other tough game will be Clemson on the road, but this isn't your, your this isn't your older brother's Clemson team. I wouldn't I didn't want to say father's Clemson team because it was just a few years ago they were good. But this isn't your older brother's Clemson team. So if UNC is eleven and zero or ten and zero going to face Clemson on the road, I mean, that's that's not crazy. 
out of the group, I would say UNC. I'm going to say partly because of Drake May, who I think is the MVP or MIP, most important player, the MIP, as I like to call it. I think he's the most important player on any team in the nation this year. I think he would affect the win-loss record for any team more than any other player going down or if he were absent. I think that uh, – I'm not going to tell you I know off the top of my head who it would be, but I think Caleb Williams, if something were to happen, USC still good. Maybe the other is Shador Sanders, who I tell you guys, you, you've got to watch him. He is exactly what Tennessee wants Nico to be last year. I watched some tape actually last night, uh, kind of catching up after a busy Saturday. That guy has light feet, can move. He is just, man, he's he's going to be not just a good NFL talent. He's going to be a special NFL talent. If you had to make me pick right now, and this is crazy, but if I had to pick between Hall of Fame and not, and I had a better mortgage payment, I'd be tempted to go NFL Hall of Famer. And that sounds insane. I know, Caleb, and it might happen after I'm dead. But I swear to you, I think he's that good. I can't believe that he was that hidden at Jackson State. Yeah, we're talking Drake May and Shador Sanders are the two best quarterbacks for the NFL in college football right now. They are head and shoulders above everybody, including Caleb Williams. Including. Yep. And yep. a lot of Caleb Williams stats that are so spectacular, it's because he holds the ball a long time to try to make the play, make a play, which is fine. You can't do that in the NFL. You hold the ball and try to move around uh, behind the line of scrimmage to try to make a play. You're going to get rocked at some point. Yeah. I think Bryce Young did that in his first year as a starter in 2021. I think he did a little bit too long. I think he learned his way out of it. I think Shador Sanders will do that as well. We appreciate you for Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker. We're with you each and every weekday at 10 a.m. This has been a presentation of Off the Hook Sports.